Welcome to the segment of Katie and Kay's Ask a Physical Therapist. Stick around a while and my guest and I share, will share some knowledge and background regarding dry needling. This information may just help you or a loved one resolve some pain or recover from an injury. I'm your host, Dr. Tannis Kitchener, owner and primary physical therapist at Rocky Mountain Therapros. I specialize in sports medicine, orthopedics, and pelvic floor PT, including prenatal and postpartum care. I have been using dry needling in my treatment since 2010. Today, I'm honored and grateful to welcome our guest, Dr. Lucas Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong has practiced physical therapy at private outpatient practices, specializing in orthopedics, sports medicine, and injury care. He is board certified in orthopedics and is a member of the American Physical Therapy Association. He is currently practicing in the Denver metro area. He is also a partner in evidence-based dry needling, This is a company providing dry needling education and certification. I am especially thrilled to have Lucas on the show today because we have been friends and PT colleagues for many moons, 202 to be exact. Hey, Lucas, thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, Tana. Pleasure to join you. Let's jump right into it. For someone who has never heard of dry needling, can you share a little bit about what it is and where it came from? Sure. So dry needling is an intervention that we utilize in physical therapy to treat muscular conditions. It has been around uh, and practiced in the States since the mid-90s. The technique really comes out of work that was done uh, as early as as the 30s and the 40s. Um, Some practitioners, Travell and Simmons, dug in and discovered that we could use a a big needle, a hypodermic needle, to affect the muscle and basically take muscle that was extra tight and painful, hypertonic, back down to its normal resting state. So that's a little bit of the background. That's great. Um, So we're not using hypodermic needles now, though, right? So those are considered what we call open uh, or tissue-cutting needles, and now we're using monofilament or acupuncture-style needles. Yep, absolutely. You know, once uh, more research was done, uh, folks, including Chan Gunn, Dr. Chan Gunn, who's a physician out in British Columbia, uh, did a lot more work and started training uh, PT colleagues in the 90s and into the early 2000s when it arrived on, on our shores, so to speak. Um, they determined that we could use something as as tiny as a monofilament needle, an acupuncture-style needle, to affect uh, the physical and chemical changes that we're after. What does that chemical change look like? Can you describe that at all? Sure. So the needle's inserted 
through the skin into the muscle of interest, and it mechanically stimulates the muscle. It flips a switch and upregulates a chemical, a protein, that takes the muscle from too tight or an increased resting state back to its normal resting state. So you can think of it as kind of hitting the reset switch. I love it. I see that a lot. I actually have a um, client who most times when I dry needle, she says, wow, it's like you just deflated a tire. <laughs> she says it feels so much looser. And, and for some people and some muscles, it does work that immediate. Um, how long yeah, ago? It, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it's one of those things where patients ask, how soon should I feel a difference? And I'll tell them, you know, we should see an immediate change which is really uh, quite gratifying when it ends up being the appropriate intervention. Yeah, it's really exciting. It can be very helpful to cause that reset, and then it gives your therapist a chance to do some retraining with that new tone in the muscle. Yeah, and that's so valuable. You know, dry needling by itself uh, can improve the situation, but when we chase it with, specific exercise with prescriptive exercise that's designed for the specific person and what they bring to the table. That's where we can really lock in the gain and uh, produce change that is uh, that's long-lasting. So we've talked a little bit about how it's done. I think I'll elaborate just a tad and inform everybody that as a PT who's searching for trigger points or an upregulated area, there's a lot to the assessment to determine who's appropriate for it, where it's appropriate to be done, um, and then obviously how deep to put the needle, how much to work the needle. And it can vary. Sometimes we put the needle in, we let it sit. Sometimes we put it in, we put some e-stim on it. Sometimes we use different techniques called pistoning. Um, there's a variety of techniques, and there's also techniques that can be used to help with scar tissue. Uh, you can thread through the scar and work it from there. There's some techniques where you can address the neuromuscular, sorry, the nervous system part of the neuromuscular system by um, placing it near certain ganglions along the spine. Uh, any additional input you wanna, you wanna add for technique and different things that can be done? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, to to kind of double back to what's going on, we're affecting a few different systems when we're utilizing this technique. First, needle goes into the muscle. It commonly causes a local twitch response, which is a mechanical change in the muscle. That's what upregulates the protein acetylcholine esterase that takes the muscle back down to its normal resting state. Concurrently, we're upregulating some inflammation locally, which doesn't sound like a great thing, but that stimulates the immune system to provide a non-specific local response, sends in white blood cells, they look a lot like Miss Pac-Man, and they roll in, and in the case of chronic pain, especially pain that's been present for greater than 12 weeks, but even when it's more acute, it'll clean up all of these other chemicals, little proteins that are kind of like the blue ghosts in this case, uh, that make us hurt when we shouldn't always hurt and make things that should hurt a little bit hurt a whole, whole lot. Uh, finally, as Tanis mentioned, we can apply electrical stimulation intramuscularly, so through the needle, which is certainly that different than putting pads on your skin and using 
tens or transcutaneous electrical spins. Uh, and what this does is this upregulates things a little more systemically and brings in, uh, upregulates norepinephrine and other bigger painkillers that decreases local inflammation such that we don't have as much residual soreness from the micro traumas that go along with putting a, a small in diameter needle into the muscle. That just made me think of something that I think is an important point. In PT, we're often looking for non-medication uh, ways to address pain. Uh, it could be through exercise, manual therapy, or in this case, dry needling. Any mechanism that we have to help somebody decrease pain without using medication is is a huge plus. So uh, I always encourage every PT to learn how to do dry needling if they haven't haven't learned it yet. It's an important tool in our toolbox. So if I'm a listener and I'm trying to figure out what the heck we're talking about <laughs> and who would dry needling benefit? Who is this a good um, consideration for? Sure. So this is a great consideration for somebody that's dealing with muscle pain. Uh, so if you believe that you have or have been told, for example, that you have IT band syndrome, so maybe you have some leg pain, that's radiating down the side of your leg and wrapping around the front of your knee and it hurts to walk down the steps or you get out and you go for a run and after two miles, you just can't go anymore because you've got this front of the knee pain. But you might not have swelling necessarily and maybe you've been on YouTube and you're doing some foam rolling and you're desperately trying to roll out the IT band. Uh, you know, on assessment, we may find that some of the outside quad muscles uh, are are extra tight or hypertonic and are contributing to the, the downstream pain, we can effectively, in that case, treat uh, that musculature and almost immediately downregulate the knee pain and then work into some focused exercise to get you back on the trail. Perfect. And I, you know, you and I both use it often for anywhere in the body with muscular pain, calf issues, shoulder. I use it a lot on the rotator cuff neck pain, low back pain, uh, hip pain, all of those, uh, forearm tendonitis, any kind of tendonitis, elbow tendonitis, often known as golfer's elbow or tennis elbow, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. I know you in particular have done quite a bit of work revolving around migraines and TMJ, which would be TMJ dysfunction or jaw pain. So if you suffer from any of those things or you have a loved one that suffers from those things and they're not getting significantly better with any current treatment, I recommend go to PT and seek out a PT who has this in their toolbox if you can get it. Yeah, and to speak just a little further to that, you know, it's well established in the literature that dry needling is a useful intervention for headaches that come from the neck or cervicogenic headaches. Traditional PT as well is, is, has been validated and is really useful in the management of that kind of headache, these neck headaches. Migraine headache is a little bit different. You know, we used to think that migraine headache was caused from uh, from an, ar an artery issue where there was an arteriitis, an inflammation of the temporal artery that was causing this pulsing, throbbing, typically on one side of the head, sometimes with an aura-like blurred vision, sometimes without, uh, through the 80s into the 90s, it was then more well characterized that these headaches were actually mediated by our fifth cranial nerve, our trigeminal nerve. You may have heard of trigeminal neuralgia, for example, which can be another really painful condition. Uh, what we've 
determined is that we can treat a group of small uh, suboccipital muscles or little baby muscles between the base of the head and the upper neck that communicate really closely with this nerve. They lie, lies really close to where the nucleus is, uh, trigeminal nerve lives. And during a headache or after a headache, when there's that leftover post-dome, which can feel like a hangover where you feel like the headache was where it had been yesterday and you still feel kind of groggy and crummy, uh, it can actually knock the headache out while it's going on or in situ. Uh, it can decrease or eliminate the residual headache pain, and we believe it can uh, be preventative as well, uh, particularly when combined with some specific exercise on the back end, which is really exciting. You know, we don't know the exact group or cohort of folks that are most appropriate, but as it's a reasonably benign treatment in skilled hands, uh, we'd recommend, you know, that if you're a migraine sufferer that, that you try it out uh, as it is a lot easier on our bodies than a majority of the medications that uh, are out there for migraine headaches. Thank you for going into that in further detail because folks suffering from migraines, any tools that we have, like you said, especially tools that decrease the need for medication, can really make a big change in quality of life. So if you or someone suffering from migraines out there, spread this information, um, see what kind of help they can get to decrease their, would you say it can decrease frequency of migraines or more intensity and duration of migraines? Sure, that's a great question. You know, clinically, um, I've seen, I've had cases where we've decreased frequency and severity of both migraine headaches as well as kind of a typical daily headache, like a neck headache. That makes sense. Um, so if somebody's looking for dry needling as a treatment with their PT, is there a particular place you can you would recommend they look for a provider, or how would somebody find a PT who does dry needling? Sure, that's a great that's a great question. I think you know a vast majority of uh, of PTs that are are practicing would list it on their website. I think the vast majority of board certified uh, orthopedic specialists. So anybody with an OCS after their name uh, is very likely dry needling. I think you can simply give your local uh, PT a call. I think most of us are happy to take a call and have a conversation and see if uh, if it might be the right, well, if we provide the intervention and then if it might be the right fit for you. So that leads us into the training that's required from uh, the state of Colorado for a PT to actually be able to do dry needling. There's been a little bit of disinformation out there really nationwide about the amount of education required in this realm, and I think we should just set the record straight. What are the education requirements in the state of Colorado for a provider who wants to perform dry needling? Sure. So a provider has to be, in, in the state of Colorado, who's a PT, has to be licensed in the state of Colorado, so they have to complete uh, physical therapy education, which in the state is doctoral level training, which is approximately three years of, of graduate level training. Um, that includes cadaver-based anatomy, 
So you're spending a sem- at least a semester in the anatomy lab. You know, back at University of Colorado, we spent a semester in the lab and spent another semester doing pro sex- sections and teaching out of the lab. Uh, and then you come around and train for 30 hours, uh, at which point you can practice provisionally uh, with uh, basically a, a level one of training where you have some limits on your practice and are effectively limited to safe areas, safe muscles. And within four years, you have to complete your training, which is an additional uh, 20 hours at a minimum of training. So in the state of Colorado requires 50 hours uh, over four years of additional training. Yeah, I think it's important. It's not uh, only the education that we're doing for the needling itself, but there's a background level of education like you discussed that in most cases now is a doctorate level of education. So most folks go, they do their bachelor's, and then in our program at CU it was three years, three semesters per year. So it really ended up being another nine semesters to achieve your doctorate under the School of Medicine. So I think that that is is good background for folks. And I'm going to throw another caveat out there that this is legal in the state of Colorado. It's under our practice act for physical therapists to perform dry needling. It is not the case in every state. And so if you're listening to this online in another state, you may or may not have access to it. And if you don't, I highly recommend that you reach out to some of your state representatives and let them know that it's important to you that your right to access to care uh, is important to you and see if maybe next time around that they look at the Practice Act for PTs in your state, they'll know that they have uh, part of their community who actually wants to be able to receive this when it's indicated. Any input on that, Lucas, at all? Yeah, I think that's all great information. You know, there are just a handful of states that don't have it. So I know New Jersey just got it within the last year. Uh, Always exciting where more people can, you know, receive treatment with, you know, safe and effective techniques. Um, You know, to speak a little further to the educational piece, you know, there every now and again you'll hear stories that, oh, people go out and train for a weekend. Um, but really, it's that, that foundational knowledge is so important to, you know, do a thorough orthopedic examination and evaluation to determine, is this indicated? Is this an appropriate intervention to trial and then to utilize if it's found to be effective in the specific case? Uh, and then also to understand, you know, a question I get all the time is, well, gosh, how deep do you go with your needle? And my re- reply to my patients is, well, you know. I go as deep as I need to to get to the muscle of interest. Uh, And really having a good handle on what that anatomy is, what the three-dimensional anatomy is, and to perform this treatment uh, where you're really 100% confident that we're not going to uh, uh, impart, you know, injury as we're, we're using these techniques that are somewhat invasive. There really is no substitute for good cadaver lab like you talked about. I mean... Doctorate-level PTs are going to have extensive anatomy training and are among the best at doing an orthopedic and musculoskeletal exam in their palpation skills. And if you've got a PT that's been out for a while, you know, they also have a good understanding of how certain people are going to respond to certain treatments. And that, that goes a long way. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything else that you're dying to let our listeners know about needling? You know, um, I think if you if you have a good PT in the community, um, they will really help you to understand if this is a good direction to go, something worth trying, or the condition that you're dealing with. I certainly at times have folks that come in and say, I want dry needling for this, and we do an examination and say, well, uh, that's not really the most appropriate intervention for what you're dealing with, but we can do these other things that should really make a difference. Uh, and you may also have experienced a situation where you show up and think you might get a couple of exercises, and uh, instead we're doing uh, utilizing some trigger point dry needling to manage uh, what you're dealing with along with exercise. So, um I think really just being uh, kind of open to just a different approach, you know, from an efficacy standpoint, it's very similar to uh, to a trigger point injection, which is typically like a, a numbing agent that's shot into a muscle, like a lidocaine cocktail. So we know that it works just about as well as that does, and we use it diagnostically as well. You know, if we get in there and we treat, and within two to three sessions, we don't see a clinically significant change, then it's really going to shift how we're approaching things versus if we get in there, treat the musculature, have a rapid change in symptoms, we can say, okay, yeah, this, this very much looks like a, a neuromusculoskeletal dysfunction, uh, and maybe we don't need to send you off right away for that MRI or whatever else we might be thinking about and really you know, have some cost savings in a very complex uh, medical system where we uh, in the state spend more money than about anybody else in the world and don't necessarily have the best outcomes all the time. Yeah, I'd say if you go into a PT's clinic and you say, hey, um, I've got neck pain, can you just needle it? And they say, sure, and they just throw some needles in. I probably wouldn't go back there <laughs> because really you should be receiving an initial evaluation where they're looking through, you know, range of motion, identifying where the problem really is. Because you and I know that sometimes pain is not the main cause. So, sorry, let me back up. The location of pain is not necessarily the cause of the pain. I think about a little bit of who's the victim in the body and who's truly the criminal. And if you don't have a PT really identifying that, then um, you're not necessarily getting the best care. And then once they identify what the actual cause is, like Lucas said, maybe dry needling is going to be part of the beneficial treatment, and maybe it's not. And so hopefully you've got a PT who you can trust and have a good conversation with, do a good evaluation, and they can let you know what really is the best practice and where to go from there. Um, so I think that's really a good point, Lucas. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, and to tail on that, you know, certainly up in the Valley, Tannis, you guys have a lot of elite athletes, not limited to your runners. And, you know, I've seen a handful of elite runners over the years that come in and tell me they have hamstring tightness and desperately need it to be, to be treated, to be dry needled. And uh, we check their hamstring length, and in fact, they're too mobile. You know, they, they move a little too well. And uh, in these cases, they had some increased tightness and some smaller hip muscles, some rotator muscles of the hip. And so we did treat those uh, with some dry needling and that cleared up their back of the thigh, posterior thigh pain. And then they had 
poor core strength. And so we worked on lower abdominal core strengthening and got some of these folks back to uh, the, the super long distance ultra running that they were really excited about. So that was really, you know, it's really, really rewarding. That's always so rewarding. I, I think it also just touches on often the place that's complaining might be complaining because it's the one overworking because something else isn't doing its job. So that thorough evaluation and having a PT that you trust is super important. That being said, you're right. We do work with a lot of high-end athletes here, both athletes that are high-end recreationally and competitively. And I do honor how much they know about their body when they come in. It's super helpful when they say, this has been going on. I think it's this. As long as they're open to you know a full thorough evaluation, then uh, we work together great as a team. So I think everybody just needs to be open to, well, I'm open to their expertise on their own body, and they're open to my expertise on research and evidence-based practice and a thorough evaluation, and it goes a long way. The other thing that is really telling is that there's some pretty good studies out there that show that really the most important determining factor of whether somebody's going to benefit from PT or not, you know, how much better they're going to get, is really not in any of the particular techniques we use, but in how good the rapport is between the therapist and the patient. So the more trust the patient has in the therapist, actually the better they do, regardless of the technique they use. So you add on some um, evidence-based practice and best practice, and then it's just going to take and compliance with your home exercises or resting, if that's what you're supposed to be doing. And it takes people so far. Yep. Yeah, that's all super valuable information. Well, I think we have done a pretty dang thorough job of discussing an intro to dry needling. And I am so grateful that you joined us. You're really a wealth of knowledge in this area. And I know our listeners will appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Hannah. Thank you. Have a lovely evening. Standing down on Main Street across the Mr. Blues My faded leather jacket, my weathered brogan shoes Chill north wind was blowing, but the spring was coming on Cause I wanted to myself, just how long I had been gone So I strolled across old Main Street, walked down a flight of stairs Stepped into the hall